0: Uh, some of you know that one of the things I enjoy doing at home is cooking, especially baking. Um, last night, I, I, I've been trying to cut back on my cooking a little bit. Because uh, if I bake too much, I eat all my baking, right? And so it's like, so do I bake a couple of dozen chocolate chip cookies? I mean, I'm going to end up eating half of them, right? So last night, I thought, you know, I'm going to get some, I'm just going to bake one cookie. Yeah. So I baked a 16 inch chocolate chip cookie last night. And if you don't believe me, the pictures are on Facebook. Um, but one of the things I also enjoy doing, people may not, maybe don't know as much, as I love cooking meals for my family. And while I love grilling on the barbecue, and I'll grill anything from salad to turkeys for Christmas, um, I am known to cook using an oven at times. It's a shock to some people. And uh, before we came to Parliament, I was the one at home, and so I had a lot of fun trying out new recipes to expand our culinary experience in the home beyond our delightful dish of curried Spam. And yes, that is a real thing we eat in our home, and we love it. We'll even share the recipe if you want. Part of the reason I wanted to try new recipes was so we wouldn't always be eating the same meals week in and week out especially since I'm known to do like this bulk cooking thing where I like make 10 lasagnas or like 10 bags of chili or 10 bags of spaghetti sauce and there's nothing significant with the numbers, just how it works out. Um, I really enjoy having some variety in my food. Does anybody else relate to that? Okay. So I still like to try out different recipes when I cook and so the other night I was making a new meal. Um, I went all out. I went, upgraded from this the curried spam to tater tot casserole that was loaded with veggies and all sorts of good stuff, and the girls tasted it, and they said, oh, we love it. And one of them asked me, could you make this every day for us? Now, I suspect if I would made it a few more days, uh, the novelty would have definitely worn off. Uh, do we really want things to be the same all the time? Is that really what we want? We might think so in the moment, but... It's not just food. When my family goes back to Edmonton and we go to Sher Park, uh, we often go to the church that I, I grew up in and I was a pastor at for nine years. And I'd been there since grade 10. And I'm often asked if it feels like it's the same place when I come. And I say, not a bit. And I get the response often, that, oh, it must make you sad. And my response is always, I couldn't be more delighted. Not that there was anything wrong with it when I was there. But as much as I detest the idea of making the same meal every day when I got a fridge full of different ingredients, even more I detest the idea of a church that doesn't change. The new pastor at that church is a friend of mine, and I told him I could not be more delighted to see the church growing and changing and not staying the same. In all honesty, I would be heartbroken to go back to that church 10 years later and find nothing had changed. You see, that's not the reality of life, is it? Do things really not change in life? Of course they do. I was talking with a colleague this week here in Regina about COVID and pastoring, and and I said, as difficult as this season is, I would not want to miss being a part of it in the church for anything. We have seen God at work changing us, challenging us, shifting how we do things, shaping us in wonderful ways, sometimes very difficult ways, sometimes very unsettling ways. But we have been changed by COVID. Things we would never have done two years ago are now something we do. If I had told you two years ago, we're going to cancel church and just be online... Or, you know what, we're just gonna pre record our workshop but not have AB up front live. You would have looked at me and said, Who the heck did we hire? Right? And now it's like, Oh, yeah, we know how to do that. And you've been remarkably adept at changing to the technology. I mean, way to go, PCC. And we had some challenges, didn't we, along the way? both at your end and on our end. And we got through it. There was change. Life has change. That's just the reality of life. Change happens. And in my experience, God is at work in the midst of the changes we experience. So when we come to a passage this morning, like the one we read in Acts 2, A passage that's very common and a lot of church planners talk about, and I hear people sometimes say, oh, we need to be a church just like Acts 2. Part of me cringes. Now, don't get me wrong. There's much to like about the church, and we'll talk about that this morning. But to be just like this church, I cringe at the thought of trying to replicate something that happened 2,000 years ago. Why? Why? Because if things look the same today as they did 2,000 years ago, it means we failed in some significant areas, if everything is just the same. It means we've had a failure of imagination, a failure of faith, and a failure of trust. So let me explain what I mean by each of those. And let's start with a failure of imagination, We often see imagination as something that is all about fiction and something that children do and being immature. We want facts. We want knowledge. Yet to see something beyond our understanding and perspective, we actually need imagination. That means to understand God, who should be beyond our understanding, we need some imagination. If God is truly God, we cannot have the capacity to understand God. And when we start to rationalize God and try to think we've got him figured out, we've got him in our box of systematic theology, or we try to justify and explain walking across the sea on dry land, or justified feeding 5,000 with scientific lingo, or any number of healings, when we try to explain those away, it's a less a statement about God And more a statement about the lack of our imagination to see something beyond ourselves. Because to understand God, we need imagination to begin to understand who God is and what God does. He is beyond our knowledge, beyond our understanding. And we need to begin to imagine a world that is different than we experience. Imagine a world different in which God is sovereign. And as we do that, we shift our perspective to one that centers on God. You know, we talk about having faith like a child, and this is one of the things that I think it refers to. Step aside from what you think you know and imagine who God is. Imagine the majesty and splendor of God. Read the Psalms. The language is full of imagination. The trees of the field will clap their hands. My friends, that was not a scientific observation. True? That's imagination. One of the greatest things I love um, watching my kids do, and I know, Jared and Jeanette, you've done this too with your kids, is godly play. And there's this way of playing with Scripture. Yes, I said playing with Scripture. It's allowed Where you imagine the Bible story. There's a type of prayer, contemplative prayer, where you imagine yourself in the story and what that was like. And that makes us uncomfortable. It's like, well, what if you get something wrong? My friends, don't think we have all the answers right with what we think we know. We're not talking about going out of bounds theologically. We're trying about trying to move our understanding of God beyond our understanding and imagining the majesty and splendor of who God is. Try it sometime if you haven't done it for a while. It adds a lot to our prayer life when we come to saying, God, I imagine you to be a God who is like this, who's splendor like this, or who's majestic like that. So if things aren't changing as a church, and we're just doing the same things decade after decade, we have failed to imagine what God could be doing in our midst instead of held on to what was done, hoping that is enough to get us by into the future. This happens in ministry a lot. When I stepped into kids' ministry, and kids' ministry is one of the the most difficult ministries to step into because there's a lot that's been invested in kids' ministry over the decades before in churches that have been established. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? The number of conversations I had people coming up and saying, Mike, in my day, we did this and this and this. And we bought this. And we still have this from 20 years ago. And I still have this pack of black construction paper we bought for ministry. It's slightly faded to gold now, but you need all this because we did it this way then and it worked. I had a lot of conversations like that. And that was a little bit stereotypical, but each part of that is actually true. (laughs) Especially the black construction paper, that was a fun one. Oh boy. (laughs) And it's funny now, like some of the things that we did back then are coming back in style. But for a season, it wasn't what was done. There's other ways to connect with the kids, to try things differently. One of the big ones was Pioneer Clubs. I know a lot of you have got a connection with that too. Mike, we used to have 200 kids, so you've got to do Pioneer Clubs, because in the 80s, we had 200 kids. But it's 2002. And our community is so overprogrammed, our kids don't have room for another. And when I canceled our midweek programs, parents came to me in tears saying, Thank you. Something's changed. You need to change too. We need to have the imagination to see what God is doing now and not just hold on to what was and not and try to not change. When new people step into ministry roles, We get threatened because, well, they're not doing it the way I did it. But instead, the response should be, wow, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Have the imagination that God's going to do something new through them. The next one is failure of faith. When we cannot let go of how we want things, that is actually a statement about our faith in God. We do not have faith that God has a better way than we do it or know how to do it. Or worse, we don't have faith that God is even at work. Or we don't have faith that God can work through anyone but us because I know the answer. I know how it should be. And it has to be this way. That is a failure of faith in God to do the work of God in the church. When we want things to be the exact same year after year, we are putting our faith in what was, but not having faith in a God that is still at work in the world through the people around us today, through their gifts and skills, abilities and passions. And if the people are different today than they were 20 years ago, well, then how God will work now is going to be different by just because they have different gifts and passions and interests and skills. Not to mention the change in the culture and the resources that are available to us today. A church that never changes has had a failure of faith. And then the third one is a failure to trust. And this builds off a failure of faith. This is a failure of trust that God knows the best way to accomplish something or what needs to be done. When we seek to maintain how things are done, we fail to trust God to work through anyone but us. We've put ourselves in a position to be the ones who know how things should be done and what things should look like. This is really a failure of trust in God to work through anyone different than us in ways different than how God would work through us. These failures are a problem. You see, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit in this series And we want to be a Spirit-led church and Spirit-led individuals. And these three failures are a failure of being led by the Spirit, in my opinion. A Spirit-led church is a church that is vibrant and active and alive in faith. It doesn't mean it has all the fancy programs and glitz and glamour, but it's a church that's being transformed and changed both in ministry but also individually into who Christ desires us to be. A Spirit-led church is not stagnant or holding on to the past saying we have to be what we used to be, but as a church that is being made new by the working of the triune God in our lives day in and day out. So when I look at a passage like Acts 2, which we read this morning, I want to glean from it some understanding of what God is doing, and that is deeper than what we see on the surface. If what we're trying to do is just replicate the actions of the church that we see in the story? Okay, they had they met at the temple every day. Okay, I got to build a temple so I could meet there cuz all we got is a sanctuary. I mean, how literally do you want to take it? Cuz we do get pretty convenient on that, don't we? Well, okay, we don't have a temple. We'll just go to church cuz that's close enough. Well, they're actually two different things in my opinion. We don't need to be the exact same thing as Acts 2 on the surface. It's the underlying pieces that we need to hold on to and understand. What we read in Acts 2 is the manifestation of what God is calling us people to be. And the calling is the same for us, but how it manifests in our church, how it's lived out in our community and in our lives will look different. Are we open to that? Because we need to be. Because we cannot do things the same way the early church did, the same way as the church did 10 years ago or even 5 years ago. We need to be the church for today, today, and for the church tomorrow, tomorrow. What we're called to be has not changed. I want to be clear on that. The truth of Scripture has not changed. And we need to be faithful to the leading of the Spirit in our lives in the same way as always. How that looks can change. So, let's look at this passage and what God is calling us to, not just how it was lived out. Let's start with the first verse in our reading today, and this is Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and a prayer. Let's break this down a bit. So, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is great. And if you're saying, yes, we need to do that just like they did in the early church, I'm going to say that's impossible completely impossible. You see, it's a wonderful idea to devote ourselves to the apostles teaching, but we can't do it in the same way they did. They literally had the apostles teaching them like Ben does in ADC or I'm doing up here. We don't have that capacity to have the biblical apostles present in person teaching us. The people who are hearing the apostles' teaching, they were hearing first-person accounts of the working of Jesus in the world. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Isn't that amazing? So what we do is we in turn devote ourselves to being a people of the Word, where we root ourselves in the truths of Christ as recounted and written down. The early church rooted themselves in God's Word, Jesus Christ, Through the in-person teaching, which the Holy Spirit worked through with the apostles' teaching. And what we see is the early church rooting themselves in God's truth through the resources available to them. They didn't have the Bible like we have. Nicely bound, five different translations with a really slick little bookmark you can hold your spot. The Gospels weren't even in a written format yet, most likely but the stories were being told orally. So a Spirit-led church roots itself in God's truth, in God's Word. For the early church, they sought to learn and grow and have their worldviews shaped and set by Jesus through the teaching of the apostles. They wanted to live counter to the world. And the early church was willing to learn and grow and see things in a new light. That's what we need to do is root ourselves in God's Word, which we have in Scripture, and to let it transform our lives and shed light on how we live in the world and to counter the perspective of the world with the kingdom of God. The next part that we see is they devote themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Yes. Community is important. We see these believers realizing that faith is done in community and not in isolation. Isn't that wonderful? Even more so, faith invades all of their life. That's great. Now, that's going to change for how we do it. We don't live as close together that we can just walk and see each other all the time. I think we sometimes romanticize how it was then too. I'm sure there were problems logistically. I'm sure there were scheduling issues. I'm sure there were challenges. But how that looks for us is different. Especially now, in the season where a chunk of us are online and a chunk of us are in person, we couldn't gather all together. And even if there was no restrictions, we still can't all gather together always because somebody is at home sick, or we travel and go away, and then we go to a church somewhere else. It's part of the community of faith. And not to mention the fact that what for them was probably one gathering of believers, we have a hundred in Regina. So we're not really doing that anyways, are we? We're gathering in our local congregations. It's changed, but we try and do it to be faithful. Finally, they rooted themselves in prayer. What does that mean? It means they knew that God was wanting to speak to them, to lead them, to guide them, to work in their midst, and that they could bring their challenges and struggles and needs to God. They, in short, believed that God was a God who listens and a God who speaks. Do you notice something about all three of these? All three of these involve listening. Listening to teaching. Being in community and fellowship should involve listening to each other and not just talking, I hope. And prayer itself should be an exercise in listening. Sometimes people struggle hearing the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest gently that one challenge we can face is we've forgotten how to listen in our world. I mean to really listen. Not just to be in a conversation where, okay, are they still talking? i got to make my next point. Do you ever do that? You get in a conversation two ways, and you talk, and then the other person starts talking. It's like, okay, okay, i got to get this point the next. And you're not actually listening. If we don't know how to listen to each other, if we don't know how to listen to what Scripture is saying to us, how are we going to know what the Holy Spirit is saying to us if we don't know how to listen? We need to learn how to be still, to actually hear what others in Scriptures, others are saying to us, what Scripture is saying to us. And as we learn that, I suspect we're going to become more adept at listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives. This verse shows us a Spirit-led church. But these things are also rooted in one overarching characteristic of how these things, Scripture, fellowship, prayer, transform their lives. So I want to look at the rest of this passage quickly first, and then we'll get to that characteristic. We read in verse 43, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Wow. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bed in their homes And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Before we get to that characteristic mentioned, let's look at these underlying details. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They had their eyes open to seeing God at work around them. And they were amazed. They were paying attention to what God was doing. Not just seeing the sin in the world around them. Not just seeing how people are doing things they don't like. They weren't getting caught up in politics. They weren't even obsessing over vaccines and viruses and rules. Wow. Imagine when that was life. They were watching for God at work. And were amazed. They saw what God was doing and didn't just focus on what they were doing? Are we watching? As Spirit-led people, do we watch and notice God at work? It's a great question to ask yourself every day. God, how are you at work today? And to say, God, thank you for working in this way. Thank you for working in that way. Start out your day by praying, God, help me to see you at work in the world around me, and watch. Because God is at work all around us. I think so often we're just blind to it. Verse 44 we read, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They shared everything. They weren't possessive. The idea of me first was rare in the early church. Isn't that remarkable? Yet we live in a world that is so contrary to that idea. We're told to be self-sufficient. We see having needs as a weakness. Yet the reality is we all have needs of some sort. Some of us are just better at ignoring them. But we need each other. And the early church recognized God wanted them to be a community that loved and cared for each other in radical ways to the world around it. And finally, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Their relationships moved beyond religious structures into everyday life, And they set aside differences and issues and concerns to be focused on Christ and loving each other. They had sincere hearts. How common is that in our world? They praised God together and genuinely valued being together. Does that mean they didn't have any differences? Of course they did. Have you ever seen 20 people get together in a room and not have some sort of disagreement? I'm sure they had different views on many things. But they put those differences into perspective of what Christ had done on the cross for them. And they valued each other over and above those frustrations and issues. They allowed unity in Christ to reign over what the world would say was important. So what was the characteristic I mentioned? Watching for what God is doing, sharing everything, setting aside differences, meeting together. These are a people who gave up power, control, and influence and surrendered it to God and entrusted God to lead and guide them. We cannot be spirit led individuals and churches as long as we wish to maintain control and power and influence. It doesn't mean we won't have that at times in a servant capacity as Christ did. But when we hold on to our power and control, and we won't surrender that to God, it means we want to be in charge, and we are not willing to make space in our life for the Spirit to lead us, to work in us. Those three failures to the start, failure of imagination, Of faith and trust, those are us holding on to power and control. Do you know what happens when we let go of our power and control and influence? When we place other people around us ahead of ourselves. When we love our neighbor as we love ourselves as we're called to. And we're not just picking and choosing the neighbors we want to love. Do you know what happens? It's the last part of this passage in verse 47. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. When we're a Spirit-led church, we'll see God's kingdom growing. We'll be growing in faith and in Christ-likeness, and the church will grow as well as we get out of the way in our lives of God working in us and let the Spirit do the leading. When we give up power and control. And the light of Christ will shine bright and draw people to Him. And the Lord will add to our number daily. I don't know what that looks like for us fully. And I don't believe it necessarily means that our congregation specific will always be growing in numbers. I believe the church is bigger than this place. We are one part of the church. We cannot forget that. But when we're spirit-led, God will work through us to grow his kingdom, to grow his people, and people will be added to our numbers. So, we have some questions to wrestle with individually and as a church. Do we want to be spirit-led, or are we comfortable with how things are and what we have control over? Are we comfortable in the security of our church and structures and rules and guidelines or are we willing to be unsettled listening to the Spirit and seeing God do new things in and through us as we listen to the Spirit and the Spirit leads us? What do we want? Who do we want to be? We don't want to drop this focus on the Holy Spirit in the new year. This isn't a, okay, we're done that, now we can move on from the Spirit-led thing. We want to explore it some more. So we're going to see in our next sermon series, starting in January, what the Spirit-led church looks like as we begin working through the book of Acts. And we're going to see a people transformed, by the Spirit leading them and working in them. We're going to see their witness in the world in ways that we would not expect or even be comfortable with ourselves potentially. And we're going to see them respond to God's call for mission. And this is going to take us from January to June. We're going to go in depth a bit more. And I hope we're going to be willing to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. What the Spirit is calling us to be. As we step forward into 2022... in the months and years ahead as God's people. I pray we're going to yield control. And we're going to listen to the Spirit and let the Spirit lead us. We all have work to do. This is not a one-time decision. This is ongoing. This is a journey for all of us. It's a lifetime journey of learning to listen and follow the Spirit. But I pray you'll join us on that journey together as a community of faith. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, you have given us your Spirit to work in us, and the one thing the Spirit is is comforter. But I ask, Lord, that perhaps you do something different with your Spirit in our lives, and that is unsettle us. Unsettled status quo in our life and in our church. Where we are trying to be in control and power and maintain influence. Let us yield that to you. And may your spirit work in us to move us away from that. To being your servants. And to being a people who listen. A people who listen to your word speaking into our life. A people who listen to one another and actually hear each other and care what each other is saying. And a people who listen to you as we pray. And Lord, we ask that your Spirit speak clearly so we hear. Because we're not always the best at listening. But Lord, work in us. And help us to be your spirit-led church in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.